Relay FM. This is Connected, episode 172. Today's show is brought to you by Balance Open, Squarespace, and Encapsula. My name is Mike Hurley, and I am joined by Mr. Stephen Hackett. Hello, Stephen Hackett. Hello, Mr. Michael Hurley. And Federico Vatici. Ciao, Federico. Ciao, Mike. How are you? I'm good. I am in Pacific time, so um, mm. it's like 10 a.m. for me right now. Um, I don't. I don't feel very comfortable about that because I don't record podcasts at this time in the morning. I usually record them in my afternoon time. Um, so that's that's what my report for you today. Okay, so the show is done. Uh, you can mm-hmm. find the show notes at reader.fm slash connected slash numbers. Mm-hmm. Numbers, uh, we'll, that's, that's the URL. We'll talk to you next week, yeah? Yep, thanks so, everybody. Good, good show, good show, Mike. Thank you, thank you. Bye. Okay, Mike. Mm-hmm. Okay, Federico. Let's, let's mm. do some follow-up now that everyone's gone. Okay. How did the iPhone 10 review go? Posted that last week? It went really well. Um, I'm happy that... Um, People were were able to enjoy something that arguably was like a month late uh, because, of course, the iPhone launched like uh, exactly four weeks before my review. Um, but I'm happy that um, that that a lot of people told me like I was not expecting to be reading an iPhone review now, uh, and y- you found a way to make it relevant, which is which is you know it makes me happy because that's what I was going for, and the entire discussion about like. What are the bigger topics uh, and and the bigger themes that we should keep an eye on going forward? With that kind of maybe I hope perspective that it's it's hard to get when the iPhone just you know you just got an iPhone like two days before. It's hard to have that kind of discussion. So I'm happy with the way it turned out. I I would have liked to be done like a week earlier, but you know I'm slow when it comes to writing and editing. So it went it went well, I would say. Don't say slow. Say methodical. No, I'm slow. Mm. <laughs> I'm actually slow. <laughs> no, no, no. I don't. I, I don't pay a lot of attention to detail. I'm just super, super slow. Yeah, Four really words slow. a day, Federico Vitici. Yeah, I'm. I'm actually. I actually stare stare at sentences for a really long time. Silvia makes fun of me because I'm super slow when it comes to writing these kind of stories. And it, and it, I have this weird writing process where sometimes I can get like two thousand words down in Ulysses in like two hours and sometimes 2000 words it takes me like a week i don't know why it is i don't know what goes on in my brain but that's the way that it is and i'll just come to accept it so we have some speaker news i don't know why when we became like the home speaker podcast but we have mm-hmm. and have we uh, okay. it feels like it because I we have follow-up connected devices i think oh, is what God. oh right the show is done, everybody. You can find the show notes. This <laughs> <laughs> is a perpetually ending show. So Sonos, in its uh, never-ending quest to find more companies to partner with. Poor Sonos. To help maybe keep them afloat. I don't know that, actually. I'm sure Sonos is fine. They have announced a partnership with IKEA for mm-hmm. the home audio something or other. What What is this? What is happening? So... Mm. Nothing has really been said as to what uh, Sonos and IKEA are going to be doing together. Oh, did um, you say that, IKEA? I say it like they say it on the ad, IKEA. <laughs> it's, it's really interesting. There's an ad in the UK and it's uh, narrated by a Swedish person. And they say it more like IKEA. Huh. And I'm going to hear from strange. all Swedish people that are telling me that I'm either doing it okay or horrifically wrong. Um, so blame <laughs> the ad. 
That, um, that reminds me, like, how do you how do you pronounce like the the brand Nike? Right, you say Nike. Yeah, Nike. Uh, yeah, yeah. But in in England, it's Nike, and people get super mad. When we it, also say Nike. We yeah, also say yeah. Nike. Yeah. Woof. People get super mad when you call I it know. Nike. I don't know why, know. but that's that's the whole thing. But anyway, Sonos and I- IKEA. Um, are doing something together they they haven't said what they're going to be doing um but the kind of the press release it tends to indicate that it's going to be more than just we're going to sell sonuses like i'm sure they will do that but they talk about like starting a brave and bold partnership together that kind of stuff so i mean it seems likely i think that we may see which i think would be really interesting some sonos tech integrated into some ikea products and i was thinking like Imagine if they could put Amazon Echo stuff in it too, or Google Home stuff in it, via the new Sonos partnerships. That could be kind of cool, right? Just talking directly to your lamp. Sofa can can re- recommend recipes to you and stuff. It'd or you could you could assemble your own Sonos. You you get a box. You can assemble. You got the speakers. You got the speaker <laughs> oh grill. Oh my you, god! You also get a you also get a new CEO <laughs> in the box, and you can oh, make your own oh, Sonos. Federico, that's me. <laughs> you just get like a pile of wires <laughs> and an Allen key, and that's how you build a Sonos. Uh, you get a phone book with all the numbers of the companies you can partner with, and you can just make your own Sonos. <laughs> wow. Wow. That's good. Oh. <laughs> and the Google Home Max is shipping now. So Yay. it'd be Apple. So it's Ooh. shipping. You can buy it from Google, Best Buy, Verizon, or Walmart. I think I think it might just be shipping to the US first, but it is shipping. Um, I saw an MKBHD's Instagram story that they sent him one, so I expect he'll have a review up in the next few days. Uh, so yeah, they're shipping. They made it. They got it out there. I don't actually think that this causes a problem for anybody, honestly. Like, I don't imagine that there was going to be a lot of crossover. Like, I can't imagine that a lot of uh, Android users are going to buy a HomePod and a lot of iOS users are going to buy the Google Home Max. No. But at least it's out there. I mean, they are head-to-head competitors because they're in the same price bracket and all that kind of stuff. But yeah, it's just a note, right? It's just noteworthy that they got it out. It's done. It's on the way. I mean, so many of these purchasing decisions are just the ecosystem you're in, the music streaming service you pay for, and mm-hmm. if you use Apple Music, uh, then you know you're you're basically set with the with the HomePod. You know, if you want to mm-hmm. talk to it. So, yeah, I agree with you. Like, I don't think it's a problem for Apple that that Google beat them out. Um, I think I think that the the like the market is more complicated than just. Who got there yep. first? I think yep. it's interesting about the um, just circling back to the Sonos IKEA thing. I think it's interesting to consider the possibility of maybe um, having some kind of like IKEA furniture that has pre-built locations, like pre-built spots for putting your Sonos, like different types of speakers. Like imagine if you get like a like a Malm cabinet and there's like uh, an inset for the Sonos play bar and you can put the play bar in there and then you buy a TV, you put the TV next to the play bar or maybe I, I could see like some cabinet, some kind of living living room furniture with, you know, like a spot for an integrated Sonos play one. Um, that could be fun, but honestly, I don't, I don't know how much IKEA can integrate with Sonos unless they make their own Sonos hardware is that even a possibility i don't think so because uh, you can see ikea they make their own furniture with wireless charging right and and there's like you can buy that stuff and it's all pre-built for you but 
what does it mean to have IKEA partnered up with Sonos? Uh, because Sonos makes their own hardware and IKEA makes their own furniture. So how can the two come together? Um, I don't know. Yeah, it's going to be interesting to watch, right? Like it would be super nice to be able to have, I don't know, like some kind of side table, like a bedside table that had Sonos with some kind of smart speaker integration built into it and Qi charging. It's like, wow, thanks, Ikea. Like that, that would actually be really cool. I would like that a lot. We'll see. So, Stephen, you have some scheduling information for us. I do. So we have the show this week. We have the show next week, next Tuesday as normal. We are taking off December 26th, the day after Christmas, and we are going to be offline. Uh, and we'll be back on January 2nd. January 2nd will be our year in review show. So that'll be a show where we round up all the big topics from 2017. We've done this for several years now. Uh, we would love to have your help with this. So if you have a story that you think is really uh, stands the test of time and is worth mentioning as a, as a story of the year, tweet with the hashtag #ConnectedYear, and uh, we have a little Zapier going around and scooping those up and putting them in a spreadsheet. Um, so we're going to start uh, pulling those together. So we'd love to know uh, what what you folks think is the you know stories of the year. I think. Mm-hmm. We're talking about this kind of behind the scenes. It's always hard because you think about the most recent stories because they're freshest in your mind. And so we we go through month by month and talk about the big stories from January, February, March, et cetera. So it's always a lot of fun. I always enjoy doing these shows because it's a, it's a fun thing to look back over the year and kind of see, you know, ideas and thoughts or stories from the beginning of the year. Did they pan out or did they not? Hashtag connected year, all one word. Uh, as Steven said, give us your favorite stories. And uh, hopefully we'll be able to include them in our year in review episode. All right. Today's episode is brought to you by our friends at Balance Open, a free open source Mac app for checking Coinbase. Coinbase is a popular market for cryptocurrencies like Bitcoin and Ethereum. And Balance Open is the best open source digital wallet to help you keep track of everything. Something I find kind of funny um, is from how this stuff has changed from when Balance became a sponsor to now. Like, I remember it was like I was first kind of saying like, oh, yeah, like you should really pay attention to cryptocurrency. Like this stuff is a thing. And now it's on the front page of every newspaper because Bitcoin is soaring through the roof. And it's just like a funny thing to me to be like from then to now. I think everybody has got some kind of exposure to cryptocurrencies now. And Balance wants to help you get started if you're interested. If you go to bal.money slash relay, if you're one of the first 1,000 people to go and sign up, you will receive $2 in the Ethereum currency for free as a gift from Balance. Go check it out today, find out more, and try out Balance Open, the open source Mac app for checking Coinbase. Our thanks to Balance for their support of this show. All right, so a couple of days ago, yesterday maybe it was, uh, out of the blue, out of nowhere, um, Apple has begun to allow uh, app, app developers in the iOS App Store to enable pre-orders for their products. Now, is this just for iOS? It's for every platform, iOS, okay. I think macOS and tvOS. So, oh, I can't wait to pre-order some... <laughs> You can apps on TV. You can pre-order games that don't exist. So that's that's a feature now. Yeah. So if you cast your mind back to when Super Mario Run came out, it Mm. was this, right? Do you remember? You'd Um, go and you'd go to the page. Okay, might be exactly, but it's similar, right? You go to the page and you'd be like, "I want this." Like register for interest, and then it would give you a push notification. It's like fifty percent of that functionality because you get that. So you go there and you say like, "I want this," and you you pay or you press the get button, which I think now is badly worded again because you don't actually get it. 
you have to <laughs> to wait. It doesn't actually say pre-order, which I thought was weird. Like I thought the button doesn't say it. It's just like text by the side of the button. I don't think that the layout yeah. of the pre-order page is extremely clear right now. I think that more could be done with that. But what happens is as a user, uh, you pay or you, you order. Um, and then on the day that the app is released, you get notified and it starts to download automatically. Mm-hmm. Um, and then as a developer, you have to do everything as if the app was already released. So you have to submit a build for review. You have to create the App Store page and you set a pre-order date, which you're able to amend. Um, you can only change the pre-order date within a 90-day window of the original date that you set in case there's any delays. And you can do everything as normal. You can submit updates during that period of time and everything while you're getting kind of, I guess I guess the idea is you're getting marketing plans in place and stuff like that. Because I, I, you know, I see a lot of people being like, oh, why would I want to do this? Like, I don't want mm-hmm. to tell people about my app beforehand. There are so many companies that have, especially in games, will have a press release announcing a date. And if they're iOS games... Something that's always frustrating me is like I kind of just have to wait, right? Like I have to like be, like try and remember in my head to get the app later, or be like I hope I see it again. But now what my expectation will be is a lot more companies will have the pre-order ready, and a lot of it isn't because like you're waiting to finish the game, which I think is how a lot of maybe indie developers are mm-hmm. like they're waiting to get the app finished. But like there's a lot of companies that like they'll get it ready and then they'll have a a, a plan a marketing or pr plan which take a set amount of time and then the app will release and i guess it's more for that kind of stuff but i would say like i, I see a bunch of my friends they'll like they'll tweet about like okay my app is done it's all submitted mm-hmm. and, a, and it's coming out on tuesday and wouldn't it be way better if like it's coming out on tuesday but you can pre-order it now like and i hope to see more indie developers get on this because there is so many companies will like give a tease like oh the app is coming like here's a page if you actually have a button for people to hit right there, you will convert better. And so I'm I'm hoping to see that. Like I think that this is just a good addition. Um I think for me personally, like this is a kind of thing that as a user I want more than like discount pricing and stuff. Like just over time, I just find myself less interested in the requirement for that. But pre ordering is more of a thing that, that I would want to be able to have. So I'm pleased it's gonna happen. So I have a few comments about this. Um, The first one is a reality check for indie developers on iOS. I see every single week um, so many developers, they they work on on an app for months and then they just email us or some other websites. And they're like, "Uh, this app is coming out in two days. They have no marketing strategy whatsoever and they approach the press with like 48 hours in advance, which Mm -hmm. is a terrible strategy nowadays. It used to work a few years ago when the, you know, competition on the App Store was not so fierce. Uh, But today it's just crazy to have that kind of launch strategy because it is not a strategy. So pre-orders... the, the common refrain that I've seen on Twitter since last night is, oh, this doesn't make any sense for digital goods that have no supply issues. Well, this is not about supply, right? This is not about pre-order to make sure that you get the app when it launches. So of course, you're going to get the app on launch day. But this is more about the marketing strategy for developers who want to, one, gauge interest before they actually release an app or a game, but also to make sure that you get the word out and you can then start approaching the press and you can send them to the pre-order page. You can let them see what the app is going to be like and then maybe you can invite them to test flight and do other things so this is all about yep. marketing and it's all about reminding users when something is coming out uh, also, I was also wondering like if it would help with app store propagation too no, I don't think it, the, I don't think the page it does. is already going to be there though right like so when on your launch day 
you won't be like manically refreshing because it's already there. The app is in the store. The app is there, but Apple is being kind of vague about how it actually downloads on your device. Okay. Uh, because okay. if you if you don't go there and hit the download button manually, um, it says that it will appear on your device within 24 hours since the pre-order date expires. So okay. uh, I'm assuming... Like, that I was thinking it might help with people that are searching, like on launch day yeah, or something, because yeah. like, it, it may have been indexed better or something. I don't know. I think it will help because you're getting an iTunes ID for the product anyway. So the right. app must be somewhere on Apple CDN. Mm-hmm. Um, it depends to on, like, I want to see how the automatic download stuff works. Uh, but also, um, another comment that I've seen is, uh, this is like Kickstarter for apps, which is totally inaccurate. Because no, that doesn't make any sense. Customers do not get charged until the launch, until launch day. So it's not like you're giving developers money beforehand so they can get some cash to finish the product. Uh, you register your interest, you authorize the payment in the pre-order. And in fact, if the developer changes the price uh, during the pre-order stage, so let's say that you pre-order a game at $3 and when the game launches, it's $5, you don't pay 5 you pay $3. Uh, because some oh. legislation in the App Store, you know, Apple is forced to honor the price that the user yep. registered their interest. Uh, and, which means that in addition to marketing, the angle that a lot of people are missing is that this could be used in a bunch of interesting ways. First could be register now and get the discounted price before the game or the app launches. But also it could be a way for developers to do some kind of uh, upgrade mm, discounted pricing to a new version of an app you know if you're an existing user an existing user you can apply for a discount now and i know that in theory everybody could apply because the uh, the pre-order listing is public but it could be a way for developers to sort of fake their way around upgrade pricing to say during the pre-order stage you can get three dollars off and that could be a nice idea um but in general i feel like um all the indie developers that are saying, oh, this is useless, this doesn't make any sense because it's not like you're pre-ordering a limited edition video game. That's not the point. The point is make sure that you have a marketing strategy in place, which is super important these days. And if you're still one of those developers sending press releases two days in advance, you're doing it wrong. And it's a way to offer discounted pricing and to get on the app store and make sure all your ducks are in a row before you actually launch a game or an app. I think it's very clever, honestly. Stephen, what do you think of all this? Uh, I think it's great anytime Apple adds features to the App Store that developers can use to either make their businesses more profitable or, I think what's important this time around, it, to, to garner more attention from their audience, right? So mm-hmm, if you have mm-hmm. a game or an app that you are hyping, like Mike, like you said, if there's a call to action, if there's a button someone can tap where they're they're in, right? Even if the app doesn't come out for another week, then that's more beneficial than you're hyping, you're pre-announcing, you're saying things, and then you have everyone's attention, but there's no call to action. There's nothing for them to do, right? And then you have to like get them again when the app comes out or the game comes out. And I think that's why we see developers trying different strategies when it comes to publicizing what they do. A lot of developers don't say a word until the thing is out in the app store. Other developers talk about their apps on podcasts or in blog posts or on Twitter and kind of build that attention up over time. So, yeah, I, th- I think I'm excited about it. As a user, I'm excited about it. And I think as I think as uh, someone who knows a lot of developers and who is 
excited for developers to be successful, uh, I think it's a good thing. So uh, I'm, I'm glad to see it. Hackett, have your time. We cede the floor to you. Uh, uh, just crack my knuckles here. The oh, iMac God. Pro. <laughs> the iMac Pro is here almost. You can order it on December 14th. That is Thursday. It's two days from now. We're seeing this today, so today's Tuesday the 12th. We've seen a couple things. Uh, MKBHD has a nice video about it. There are several blog posts about it. Uh, we'll put these in the show notes uh, so you can go check them out. There's no final pricing or options list yet, so we still only know the starting price for the 8-core, 32 gigs of RAM, terabyte SSD model. Uh, MKBHD, he had the 10-core in his video, and he shared some some Geekbench scores in the video, and it just completely smokes anything uh, anything out there, including the 2013 Mac Pro. So if you had a 2013 Mac Pro, this is a really uh, nice step up. Up until this point, that was still the most powerful Mac um, to, and, and under certain measurements. Uh, and other measurements, the 27-inch iMac beat it, but this machine beats both of them. I did want to talk a little bit about the upgradability deal. And we talked about this when the iMac Pro was announced over the summer, but it is a sealed box. So you can't go in there and upgrade things, including the RAM that like my 27 inch iMac has a RAM door. I'm kind of feeling it right now behind the display. Uh, the iMac Pro does not, does not have that. That's a bummer. Uh, I wish it did, but I understand uh, why it doesn't. I was talking to some people on Slack earlier, and, and Jason Snell said something really smart. He said, you know, this is an iMac Pro. It comes with the baggage of the iMac. And that mm. means that things like the GPU, like having a GPU slot in an iMac Pro to replace the GPU two years down the road, that was never on the table for this machine. When yeah. Apple decided this was going to be an iMac that was slanted towards Pro users, that defined it from there on out. And you can argue whether or yeah, not... Yeah, like it comes with the good and the bad, right? You also totally. get an incredible screen built in, but then you lose the ability to change the RAM. That is a very astute point. Yeah, and if you're if you're like me, I really, really like the all-in-one form factor. You know, I have a lot of stuff hooked up to my iMac all the time, several drives, all this audio stuff for podcasting. And it's all nice and neat because it's an all-in-one. I'm not like running cables everywhere. And it's I like the aesthetic of the all-in-one. I like the functionality of it. And like you said, you get an incredible display built in. That's not for everybody, though. And that's why at some point in 2018, assumedly, we will see a Mac Pro. So if you want a six or $7,000 machine that you can upgrade your RAM in or upgrade the GPU potentially, then you know that Mac Pro may be for you. We don't know anything about that product yet, but assumedly that when they said modular, they meant upgradable. What's a more interesting debate than should the iMac Pro have a RAM door or not is we were we were living in a world where the iMac Pro was going to be it. Before Apple decided to resurrect the Mac Pro, to pull that team back together and to, to task them with building a new Mac Pro, the iMac Pro, this new 27-inch all-in-one space gray hotness, was going to be it. That was going to be their professional Mac. In that world, I would be much more upset about the RAM door on the iMac Pro. But because the Mac Pro will exist, it gives users of like of our caliber options. And for me, I don't know what the Mac Pro is going to be like. I don't know if it'll be 
you know, much more powerful than the iMac Pro or not. I honestly don't know how it could be. The, the iMac Pro is, is by far the most powerful Mac they've ever made. The trade-offs with the all-in-one design are worth it for me at this point. You know, I am not going to sit around and wait to see what the Mac Pro will be before I decide to order an iMac Pro or not. Because hmm. the the iMac Pro is going to be here now, unless you want the 18 core, that's going to be next year, um, which is kind of a bummer, but whatever. It, it is going to grant me so much more horsepower than the 2015 inch, uh, t- 2015 inch. That's not a saying. Uh, yeah, no, the, that's it. The 2015 inch, inch iMac. iMac. <laughs> That'd be humongous. <laughs> the, the, my, it's really good for video editing. Yeah, it's like the whole side of my house is just <laughs> one big display. Um, it, it's so much more powerful than the late 2015 iMac I have now. Then that it makes the Mac Pro sort of uh, a non, like sort of a non-issue for me. Yeah, and also it's like how many times have you opened your iMac? Right. Yeah. So, yeah. So one. I ordered mine with 16 gigs of RAM. I ordered a refurbished model. Um, it has an i5 in it, which is a bummer, but it was the refurbished one that was in the budget that was for sale when I needed a machine. It came with 16 gigs of RAM. I upgraded to 32, and I'm set. Like 32 gigs of RAM is fine for this computer. My guess is that Apple has information on users with third-party RAM in their 27-inch iMacs, and my guess is. That the percentage of people who ever open that door or even know that door is there is very low, mm-hmm. right? That they have it there. It, it's not on the 21 inch. I mean, I agreed about this on like our old show, the prompt when the 21.5 inch came out. There's no RAM door and I freaked out. Uh, I guess Apple's worn me down over the years, but my guess is it's not, it's not going to be that big of a deal. So it's something to think about when you order it, right? That, hey, the base is going to be 32 gigs of RAM. I would recommend, you know, I'd probably say if you're going to buy an iMac Pro and you, intend on using it for several years probably upgrade to 64 gigs and that's fine yeah i, I want to say like we we have to super just make the point we 100 percent know that there are many people that would need a machine that they can open up and upgrade sure like, th- that's not yeah. the point we're making the point is that the vast majority of people that would buy this machine probably would not need to like they're right. going to be good with what it comes with in the same way that like the current high-end IMAX people aren't opening those up all the time because they're incredibly powerful machines. Right. The, the people who have, or who had, I mean, some of them still have them, the cheese grater, and they did put cards in them. Those people are, were unhappy with the late 2013 Mac pro, the trash can. Yep. They're unhappy with the iMac pro. Yep. Um, well, yeah, those people are going to get a Mac Pro again. Mm-hmm. And assumingly, you'll be able to take the side of it off or open it somehow and be able to put stuff in it. And that's awesome, right? Like, if that's what you want or that's what you need, and there are people who truly need that, um, I'm super pumped that Apple's building a machine for those people, right? I, I, I really am because those customers are important P- U- Mac users. And it's important for the Mac lineup to have a machine like that. I truly believe that. But... I'm not sure I'm one of those people. I would like a RAM door. If they had it in there, I would save money on the front end and upgrade the RAM later. But it doesn't, so I'm just going to order it with 64 gigs of RAM in it and and just be done. Because I want the all-in-one form factor. I don't want a tower with a bunch of stuff, you know, just laying everywhere. The the point I think we're we're making is that the options are good. And whether you, you are happy or not with the iMac Pro, you can balance that with knowing there's something else coming at some point, hopefully, in 
in 2018. And what we should be happy about and excited about the year of optimism is that, hey, Apple listened and is giving those users that machine. There was, I mean, we were on track until whenever that Mac roundtable was, February last year or March, whenever it was. We were on track to be in a world where the iMac Pro was it. And thankfully, someone stepped in and said, hey, this is uh, not what we need to do. We need a, another option even above that. So so I'm excited. Uh, as someone who uses a 27-inch iMac, I love the form factor. I love the display. I want an all-in-one on my desk. Um, so this machine is, is looking uh, increasingly exciting to me as someone who does a bunch of audio and a bunch of 4K video uh, who needs multi-threading. I wrote this thing on iMore about multi-threading applications being the reason I would buy an iMac Pro. Um, so for a user like me, you know, I'm I'm a professional Mac user, and Mike, you are too. Um, and you know, we produce audio and video on our Macs. For us, this is this is a great choice. And for those people who want or need more. They have a choice too, and everybody can be happy. We don't have to be sad today. Today's a happy day if you're a Mac user, as long as you got five to ten grand laying around. You're using a lot of language, which would suggest that you're going to order one of these. I am like, very much I will interested be fine in this. with this amount of RAM. I will be good with this. <laughs> I, I am so I, I do. I do want to see what the final pricing is because. I would like to know, okay, if I do this, like how much is it actually going to cost me to do a machine that, that mm-hmm. would be reasonable to have for a long time? Is um, it weird I'm, to have the pre-orders go up and not have prices? So, I mean, so all they've said today was it will be available on the 14th. And so I assume I mean, on the 14th, that information will be there. And do we have a start in price? Uh, five grand. Okay, so it starts at five. So you know that's what you got to get to get so in the that's door. the base. Okay. So that, and we know the specs of that model. That's eight core... 30 gigs of RAM, one terabyte SSD, and the base GPU, which still has four times the video RAM of the high-end video card I have in my iMac. <laughs> so even the base yep. blows away uh, the 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 high-end of even just a couple of a couple years ago. So in theory, what are you configuring? So uh, I'm going to look at a couple of things. I want to see what the RAM pricing is going to be. And some of those articles that are out now have a bunch of graphs in them, um, but no one really has the – everyone just has the 10-core, it looks like, that, that has early access to these. And so what I want to see is what is the performance difference between, like, the 8 and the 10-core? Because the, the 18 just seems, like, extreme overkill to me. Yeah, you don't need that. I, don't, I, re- I just don't think you need that. I think you're no. good. And so what I want to see is the, the price difference there. And does it make sense to invest in the 10-core over the 8? My guess is, honestly – Sitting here today, what I what what I think will probably happen is I'll do a base machine, so the eight core with the base GPU. Again, I'm getting uh, many more cores than I have now, and I'm getting yep. twice the video RAM and upgrading it to sixty four gigs of RAM, and and that being such a big improvement over where I am now that it's um that it's just fine because because a lot of this I mean, is an expensive machine. Like I'm gonna have to sell this iMac and pull some money together and talk to my business partner about it and you know go from there don't worry about me you buy what you need i um i have no intention of upgrading to this uh, it's just not I, I just think it's too much for me like i, I think i'm good i want to see how it goes right like i want to see what people say but i never feel like my imac is being stretched 
Like, yeah. I just don't feel like that. And I know I can make things go a bit faster. And like, and I understand how like those time savings add up over time, right? Like, it's why I don't do all of this on a MacBook, right? Like, uh, the, t- the time adds up and you really feel it over time. But I, I just don't think I need to get in on this right now. Honestly, yeah. personally, like, I want to see what the Mac Pro is like, like, I just want to see what that's like. I want to have all the options. And you have a desire for VR games, right? Like, is that yep. a factor in this? Um, the factor is I'm going to buy a PC. There it so is. I don't want to buy an iMac. <laughs> uh, I don't want to buy two computers. I want to buy one. Very expensive computers. Yeah. So like, I'm going to, so yeah, I'm going to buy and build a PC. That's like my next project that I'm going to do at some point next year. Yeah. And, and I don't, and I just don't, I don't have a desire to, to bring an iMac pro into mega office as it stands right now. Sure. It, it feels like just too much for me personally. Yeah. And the, 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 the speed thing is definitely part of it where if forecast or logic or final cut just render faster, I get time back. But I think part of it, I think that's part of it, but the bigger part for me is, is really with 4K video that when I do that, I'm doing an increasing amount of it for YouTube stuff that the late 2015 iMac, as great as it is, struggles with that with that workload. And the iMac Pro seemingly would not. So um, if I was just doing audio, I would not be as interested in this. Yeah, yeah, it makes sense. The 4K video is what is... What is um, pushing me over the edge. And like I said, I don't necessarily need to swap stuff out. And, and two, um, just because it's being talked about in the chat room, I'll bring this up briefly. The, the Mac Pro, of course, within the cheese grater era, used to be upgradable, right? You could go out and buy capture cards. And like we have friends who run like SSDs on like PCI cards because it's super fast. You can put in new video cards. But the reality is most people didn't do that probably. But even if you did, your options were super limited, right? It's like you can have any graphic card you want as long as it's one of these two that macOS supports. Yeah. If that was the case then, after that form factor had been around for so long and was more affordable than this. I mean, you could get a base Mac Pro at times for like three grand, I think. The, the market for that now may be even smaller. So this thing... You know, the iMac Pro comes with the AMD Vega graphics. Similarly, the, the Mac Pro would as well. Is your only option going to be AMD cards? There's not much stuff there past Vega. Vega is the best AMD card there is. You can go to like NVIDIA stuff, like the um, 1080 Ti and some of those really high-end cards. But Apple has to support it in the software. And the, and the card OEMs, like NVIDIA or whoever you're buying your video card from, has to have drivers for, for it as well. And so saying I'm going to wait for a Mac Pro because I can upgrade the GPU, like that's true and that's fine. But I, I think that market is going to have to prove itself to be valuable for companies to support it. And if the Mac Pro sells in the thousands of units range or even the tens of thousands of units range, that may not be enough for something like NVIDIA to deal with the drivers. And they have drivers from some stuff now and you can do eGPUs and all that stuff. But I think that there's a, um, I think there's a real lack of options there. It's not going to be the Mac Pro is not going to unlock some paradise where, where Mike, if you build your gaming PC, and I think you totally should do it, you know, you're going to have a wide option of choices, and over the years you can really keep that machine up to date, mm-hmm. and that's just harder on a Mac. Like 
even if they're drivers, and I know like chat room, I know NVIDIA drivers for the Mac, stop, stop yelling at me. It's just not the as flexible as the PC market's going to be. So, so again, the trade-off for me, the iMac Pro wins. And, you know, when the Mac Pro comes out at some point, then I can always reevaluate. But I think for now, my options now for 2018, the iMac Pro is the best, the best machine for me if, you know, if the budget stuff uh, works out. But my real question is Federico, mm-hmm. if, if you're still out there somewhere. Yeah. yeah you wandered yeah, off. Have. You went and got a sandwich and came back. When you, because I, I think about all this Mac hardware, right? Like way more powerful hardware options. And really the Mac has now with the iMac Pro has a wide range of hardware. And not, I'm, not, I'm not talking form factor, even though that's maybe part of this, this question I'm going to ask you. But in terms of power and capability, right? Like from my wife's little Retina MacBook all the way up to this iMac Pro, is a huge range of stuff, right? And you can pick a machine at a price point that makes sense for you with the specs that make sense for you. The iPad line, of course, doesn't have that. And the way Apple gets around it is they sell older things for less money, which is fine. I'm not, it's not commentary on that. But can you see a day in the future where iOS has such a wide range of hardware capability that you have an iPad or or, uh, that, you know, is great for this type of user. And then you have the pro that is like even further removed. Cause like right now the $329 iPad and the iPad pro, like they're different from each other, but they're not night and day different from each other. And do you think iOS would benefit or would be hurt by like a wide range of, of flexibility and like hardware power? Hmm. That's a good question. Um, I would say that with, that great responsibilities require greater power. And until no, no, you got that wrong. It's yeah, that's exactly backwards. <laughs> it's with great power comes great responsibility. And it's Spider-Man. No, stay with me. Stay okay. with me. I know. I, don't teach me references. I know what I'm talking about. I was about to say that I know until, you were making a joke, by the way. I, was, until, I thought I had to troll you. I love you so much. You've been... You've been, you've been um, mean to me for the past couple of weeks, Mike. Oh, and I'm sorry. I yeah. didn't want to be mean to you. I tried to be nice last week. People thought I was still being mean, but I was trying to be nice. Maybe it's just my nature. I'm just not a good person. I'm sorry. <laughs> yeah, it's something to think about for Christmas, Mike. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I was about to say that until iPads are capable of having those responsibilities, like, can you work on complex VR development on an iPad. No, you cannot, of course. Can you do, you know, highly complex scientific calculations on an iPad Pro? Probably not. So until Apple thinks that an iPad can handle those responsibilities, do you need that kind of power? Um, I would love to have an iPad that can be connected to a 25-inch monitor and you have a version of iOS running in desktop mode. Um, and of course, in that case, I would say, yes, of course, Apple needs more um, variation in the iPad line to make sure that you can accommodate that kind of scenario. And I could see, honestly, a future where the workstation is but a, a screen that if you're on the go, it's an iPad. And if you put it on your desk, it becomes an iSomething Pro. So 10 years from now, do, do we think we're still going to have Mac Pros and iMac Pros and on the side iPads? Um, I, t- I tend to believe that 
in the future there won't be two operating systems, but just one. So in the short term, I'm not sure. Does the iPad next year, does the 2018 iPad need um, a Super Pro version? I'm pretty sure it doesn't because what else are you going to do on an iPad Pro Mm -hmm. that is not already supported by the iPad Pro in 2017? But 10 years from now, maybe. Or five years from now, maybe. And this goes back to the to the excellent discussion that you had, Mike, with Jason on upgrade about the the iOS laptop, um, which I totally agree with. Um, it depends on where we see these things going because Apple says the Mac goes on forever, uh, and they don't want to do the hybrid, they don't want to do the single OS. But maybe for now, but realistically. Um, for a company that likes to integrate as much as possible the software and the hardware, it's uh, it's a bit short-sighted to believe that they are not going to integrate all of the software and all of the hardware hmm. decades from now. So that's my argument. For now, it doesn't make any, it doesn't make much sense. I think to have multiple uh, versions of the iPad Pro where you can choose the specs, but in the future, uh, maybe. But it depends on what they're going to do with the OS. I think. Yeah, that, that, I think that's a really good point. Like, you could just keep making more and more powerful hardware, and that's awesome. But there's got to be something to do with it. Right. And they're just... Everything that you can do on an iPad right now, the current hardware is already too powerful for it. Yeah. Like, there's, yeah. there's already hardware to to spare on this <laughs> stuff, so it's not required. Like, yeah, and even, it, maybe one day, but not now. Yeah, even if you work in Affinity Photo uh, or, you know, th- those pro apps that I don't use. I mean, of course, I'm using Ulysses and I'm, and I'm not like I'm working on a review in plain text. I'm like, man, I wish I had 10 gigs of RAM on this iPad to <laughs> deal with this plain text. So that's not me. But if, I'm pretty sure that even if you edit some 4K video with LumaFusion or some other video editor on the iPad, it's enough for now. Uh, yep. Because you cannot do that kind of more complex work that people buy Macs for. So, mm-hmm. it, you know, it doesn't make much sense now, I think. All right, today's show is also brought to you by Squarespace. Use the offer code WORLD at checkout and you'll get 10% off your first purchase. Make your next move for Squarespace because they will let you easily create the website that you have in your mind to get your ideas out into the world. Whatever your next idea is, Squarespace has all of the tools that you need to put it out to the world. And if you want to create a portfolio, a blog, an online store, a site for your business, band, maybe you want to create a site for your new podcast, no matter what it is, you can grab a unique domain name, take advantage of beautiful templates, award-winning 24-7 customer support at your fingertips. It's all there with Squarespace. There's nothing to install, no patches to worry about, no upgrades needed. They are an all-in-one platform. So you don't have to worry about any of that stuff because Squarespace has got your back. We use Squarespace for a bunch of stuff here at Relay FM because we just don't want to have to worry about all the nitty-gritty of trying to get a store set up. Squarespace has it. It's just drag and drop. You just enable the store and the store is ready. It's fantastic. We love it. Squarespace plans start at just $12 a month. You can sign up for a trial today with no credit card needed just by going to squarespace.com. Then when you sign up, use the offer code WORLD, W-O-R-L-D, and you'll get 10% off your first purchase. So just use WORLD at checkout. And you'll also be showing your support for this show. We thank Squarespace for the continued support of Connected and Relay FM, Squarespace. Make your next move, make your next website. So the Amazon Prime Video app has finally Woo-hoo! arrived. It's made it. We were told about this like six months ago, and uh, it's coming, we promise. And uh, here it is. People are really upset about it. 
Um, I'm just going to say, I'm going to let you guys talk. I'm just a super quick thing, and I'll say that you guys can, can give your thoughts. I kind of don't care that the app is janky. I just need to get to my video, <laughs> and I can get to my video. Like, that's, that's it. That's it for me. I don't care. Like, none of those apps look good, right? Netflix doesn't look good. Like, it doesn't look like a tvOS app. It just looks like the Netflix app. They all look like, like, the BBC iPlayer app just looks like the web app. Like, they all just look like that. Personally, I don't care because all I want to do is watch the videos. And as long as I can get to them, even if they're a bunch of clicks away, I just want one box, which I now have, which does 4K and HDR. So I don't have to use my TV stuff. I don't have to use an Amazon thing. That's all I care about. Hmm. Yeah, but wouldn't you like to have a better app, Mike? Yeah, but there are no good apps. Like, who makes a good tvOS app? That's a pretty sad statement, though. Apple's TV shows app is super janky. Right? Is it though? It's kind yes. of. Have I you ever fun. tried to watch a show with multiple seasons? Yes. You have to scroll through the entire list every time. Like it doesn't remember where you are, and there's no way to easily like go. Oh, I want season four. You just have to go like scroll, 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 and you get there. Like, but at least it feels like a TV <laughs> show. I don't know. I, I, I don't I, care though. I, <laughs> like what? Okay, so that's our that's our disagreement mm-hmm. here from a like uh, from a. I, you could say philosophical point of view that um, I tend to prefer stuff that looks native to the platform where I use it, and I know that most people don't care, and it's fine. I'm, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna judge someone using the well, Prime so the thing. app on TV. I like that for iOS um, because I think iOS's general conventions are built well. I don't think I agree with the general conventions and user interface of TVOS, which is in part because of the remote. I just don't think the navigation of the operating system is that elegant in the first place. So I kind of don't care about the tvOS metaphors because I don't particularly have a lot of affinity for how it runs. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. Yeah, sure, it does. Um, I just think that, you know, uh, for example, the fact that you, when you navigate the Amazon app, it doesn't make any sounds. Uh, that's a tiny That's a tiny detail. I know that m- most people don't care, but I... I like it that my navigation when when I when I use the remote, which I hate by the way, I think it's awful. But at least I have some kind of feedback when yeah, I use it. Yeah, sounds are nice because there's no vibration, there's no taptic, so sound is nice. It, and and I was thinking about this, not about the Amazon app itself, because I don't I don't even care. I don't even watch video in the Amazon <laughs> app, but about the bigger. <laughs> I don't care about I don't care about Amazon. It's just it was just a, a starting point for another disca- mini discussion that I wanted to have about. Um, all these cross-platform apps and, you know, that uh, read it once and run it everywhere. That kind of mentality. Um, sometimes I wonder, honestly, if, it's, if it could be less work to just write individual native apps that work better and that are native to the platform instead of spending months trying to adapt to these m- monster conglomerates of a bunch of different APIs and JavaScript and web views to... M- make sure that they work in some capacity, why don't you just write a native app and be done with it? Uh, and I know that these big companies have bigger interests, like maybe they want to make sure that everything is a web view so they can track your stats and behavior better. I don't know. Um, but as a user and as a someone who writes about apps, um, sometimes I wonder, 
is it really worth the investment for Amazon? Couldn't couldn't they if if the problem is analytics, for example, couldn't they just embed some analytics in a native TVOS app that feels better, looks nice, and nobody complains about it? Instead, having to spend months trying to adapt it and trying to make it work, and and the same could be said about Electron on the Mac. Oh no, Electron is hot garbage, and anyone who uses it should be ashamed of themselves. But I think there's a point to the the TV, the, the video streaming world that you're missing in your argument. And Mike touched on it a little bit. And yeah, I agree with you. Like the app should be better. And like, we deserve better TVOS apps. Like, uh, I, agree, I agree with all that. But these companies want their platform. So Amazon Prime wants Amazon Prime Video to feel the same and look the yeah. same yep. on iOS, TVOS, Roku, the stupid app on your smart TV, uh, same with Netflix, right? Nef- Nef- the Netflix UI is the same wherever you go. And I think we are more sensitive to that on the Apple TV because we have that expectation from iOS that apps kind of look and feel a certain way. And yeah, the Amazon Prime Video app is not great, but it gets the job done. And I'm not in the app very much because I just want to go watch the Grand Tour. Like, I I see what you're saying and I, and I hear it and, I, and I, I agree with a lot of it. But at, at the end of the day... Like, I understand why companies don't make the investment. I understand that they want everything to look the same everywhere. And I don't think it's that big of a deal because users are just going to go in and watch a video and they want to be able to find it quickly. And that's the win for Amazon, right? That They would rather you expect, even if it's not good, they would rather have the same expectations set everywhere. And, uh, and I, I can understand that. Let me take that a step further, cool. Federico, right? Um, mm-hmm. let's, let's imagine a world in which Google and Apple and Microsoft go, right, we are fed up with the way the web looks. It is time to implement our standards templates. And every website in the world now has to design themselves to look exactly how we want as a, with our interface guidelines. And then you have to redesign Mac Stories to look a way that Apple likes or that Google likes or that Microsoft likes. No, we already had AMP It's a pages. different topic. It's, no, but it's it, like... You're comparing a web browser with an Apple TV, which is a product by Apple that you made and you sign an agreement to be on the App Store. That's a very different discussion. Yeah, but, the, my, my, but the, what I'm, all I'm trying to get at is like these applications believe in their own branding, whether you like it or not. Like it, it's a, it doesn't matter, but like... Yeah, I, and I don't like yeah, it. But you don't, cool. it's you don't have to. Like I said, it's Amazon fine. does. So why should Apple be able to say to them, <laughs> no, you can't look the way that you want? Right? No, it's not Amazon. It's people like me and John Gruber complaining about it. It's really, it's not Apple. It's, uh, it's I just think from a, it's, it was really just a taste, personal taste thing. I don't like this janky stuff when I see mm-hmm. it. I mean, I don't like it, but I also just don't think that any company should be forced to conform. Yeah. yeah. Companies yeah, are sure. people too. Cool. Remember? Because I know I wouldn't want to, right? Like if 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 Apple were like, you can't do artwork like that anymore. Your artwork has to look like this for your podcasts. Like that would annoy me and be like, no, we believe we can express ourselves in our own way. Like I know that we're on your platform, but I don't think that you should be able to control everything. And I think that's how a lot of these companies are. I mean, I might. I think what the argument that me and Stephen are making here is more that just like 
that apps shouldn't necessarily have to conform to the human interface guidelines constantly. We are not arguing that mm. this is a good app because it just isn't, so, right? But I think the, a lot of the argument is just like, oh, it should have to look like tvOS. And, mm. I, and I, I don't necessarily think uh, that should be the case. Uh, let me rephrase it. It's, it. My argument was not necessarily about the way that it looks, even though that that's the most evident problem. But I think it's a slippery slope when you start saying, I have my custom framework and I want my services to look this way. Because once you get into that mindset, you end up like with products like Google, Google apps on iOS, which we always complain about. And guess why they don't support drag and drop and iPad multitasking at launch? Because they decided years ago to make mm -hmm. things their own way and they made that commitment. And now the, you know, the sunk cost of making custom frameworks prevents them from supporting the features that we want when they launch on iOS for everybody. Like they are, that is 100% the downside to everybody. And I wished that people wouldn't do it. But I also see from their perspective why they might want to. You know, but I don't like it. Like, obviously, like I hate the fact that it takes Google so long to update things. Mm -hmm. But like, that's a technology thing as opposed to a design thing. Like, because they are building their own engine, which Apple doesn't supply to them. Like, Apple doesn't supply to Google the ability to do collaboration. Like, that's not a thing that they can do, right? The problem with them updating so slowly is because they're building their own framework so they can do their real-time collaboration, not because they want to look like an iOS app. I'm not mm -hmm. sure where you're going with this, but okay. <laughs> Uh, I think we're arguing slightly different points now. Yeah, but I, I think I think we just we just agree the Amazon Prime Video is not ideal, but we're glad it's here. If you want to watch Amazon Prime stuff, like, I'm glad it's there. I put it on my Apple TV the day it's available. I've used it several times. It's great. It's great to have that content available outside of something like AirPlay. All the great shows. Okay, so in talking about TV, Federico, you have you have been shopping. Mm -hmm. You have you've upgraded to a 4K television. Yes. You have plugged a bunch of stuff into it. What have you done? So I bought for Black Friday initially, but then my order got canceled. Um, so I bought it from a different store, um, an LG OLED 55-inch uh, um, TV. It's the B7, the 2017 model. Um, it's a 4K OLED HDR television. And it's, and it's beautiful. It's just, I never, this is my first... Um, modern tv that i bought with my own money and that it that it actually costs a bunch of money um i never i never had a really good tv even when i got my my first hd tv year, years ago it, it wasn't a like a like a current top of the line one and this is a great tv um so the first thing i noticed is that these 4K TV, 4K TVs are awful for normal people because there's. If you want to have the best picture quality, and yes, I do believe that you gotta calibrate your television and make sure that the colors are correct and all that stuff. Um, but f someone like my mom or even my friends, they have iPhones and they have iPads and Macs, but these settings and these values that you need to manually change and follow a guide somewhere on on the web it's just awful there's just so many things to change if you want to have the best experience and it, and even the fact that you got to change all these settings and values for each individual input source um so for example having game mode on the PlayStation 4 Pro but a different game mode for the Nintendo Switch and different uh, settings for the Apple TV and the Chromecast and also live television with it's just awful so many things to change there's no <laughs> there's no what like a single uh, like uh, ideally there should be the TV should be smart enough that 
and maybe this is the potential for future Apple television. Uh, you know, if Apple ever no, wants no, to make. No, no, you've said it. Don't, don't say those words. Another gym master is suddenly gonna appear on the show now. Um, but uh, ideally, there should be like a smart mode where it's like TV. Do the thing on your own. Understand whether I'm playing with my PlayStation or I'm watching Netflix, and just adapt the settings automatically. I don't need to manually change them anyway. It looks beautiful. Uh, the picture quality is awesome. Uh, OLED, is, OLED is great. HDR is great. Uh, my girlfriend doesn't care. She doesn't see the difference from... She, she just says uh, it's a bigger TV. She doesn't really care about <laughs> the 4K and the HDR, which I understand because um, it's not a... Unless you really pay attention and maybe unless you, pay, you play uh, video games in HDR, 60, 60 frames per second, you maybe don't really notice the difference. I, I see the difference. I think I see the difference. I think it's awesome. But she just, yeah, eh, well, it's bigger. You wanted to buy a TV. You got your TV. Are you happy now? That, this was her reaction. Does she like that the TV is bigger? Yeah, she loves it. She said, you know, it's actually really great to, to watch movies this way. Like yeah, I know it's great. I know it's a it's a good TV. Um, um, we had a similar thing in my house where it was like, I don't think I want a TV that big in the front mm-hmm, room. And I'm just like, please, mm-hmm. let's just get it. If you don't like it, I'll return. Yeah. And then it's like, oh no, I love yeah. this TV. <laughs> yeah, I know. Yeah, I know. I know. I'm gonna I'm um, gonna use all this when I upgrade from my like I have a we have a 42 inch 1080 which we bought like four years four or five years ago. It's fine. It's I will use it until it dies. But uh, on occasion, like where it is now in our new house, I could go bigger. It's like. Maybe I need to do this, but yeah, I would go ninety. I don't know about that. Oh man, oh. get the twenty-two hundred inch one. Yeah, there you go. We were talking about earlier. So, uh, what was I saying? Um, so it looks great. Uh, the settings are terrible. Um, and in terms of devices that I'm using, um, so I have my PS4 Pro. I'm selling my PlayStation Four, so I moved to the to the Pro. Uh, moving. Sony has a feature to move from an old PlayStation 4 to a PS4 Pro, but it didn't work for me. I used the the LAN cable and it wasn't transferring anything. So thankfully, unlike Nintendo, Sony has a an online system to back up your saved data and download it again on a new device. So I uploaded my game saves to PlayStation Plus and I re-downloaded the games themselves from the PlayStation Store on the PS4 Pro, like you would re-download games on an iPhone or an iPad. And I also re-downloaded my saved data, and there it was, already on the PS4 Pro without having to do the transfer That's feature, cool. which was not working. So that was really cool. Um, I got an Apple TV 4K. Mm, a reader on Twitter told me, make sure you get one of those Belkin high-speed HDMI cables to avoid any problems with HDR and 4K and H- uh, 4K consoles. And I did some basic research. I didn't really want to spend days investigating whether this was true or not. But Apple is selling this cable. So I, just, I went to the Apple store and was like, give me also the Belkin cable. And to be fair, no problems. Zero problems so far with the Apple TV 4K. Uh, and the mm. and the 4K TV. So I love the screensavers. Mike told me the screensavers were beautiful. They are. Uh, oh, so good. Yeah. Oh my god. Can, so can good. I have a I have a feature request for the screensavers that just came to mind as we're talking about this? You know, we have them on, and occasionally, you know, new ones come in, and I have mine set to download new ones basically daily or whenever they're available. Mm-hmm. I would love to be able to like pull down on the remote, and Apple tell me about the location. Right, mm-hmm. so like, there's one. It's it's panning this like city skyline, 
And I had to like Google around to find what city it's in because I thought it was in one city. Mary thought it was in a different city and we were like debating. I was like, well, let's see if we can find it. Like, I would just love to have a little a little thing I could get to in the UI and be like, hey, this is Hong Kong. Hey, this is an island in the middle of the Pacific Ocean. I just, I think it'd be nice. That- I do agree with that, actually. I think it, that it would be nice to get that information because some of the stuff, I'm like, what is this place? Um, I still need to watch a proper 4K HDR movie from iTunes. I'm trying to see if there's a movie that uh, Sylvia would enjoy um, and that I would also enjoy. So I, I think we have plenty of choice because we're we are kind of terrible at staying on top of movie releases. Um, I could probably choose one of those superhero movies. I'm I'm not even sure what what is popular these days. Probably some kind Spider-Man. of Spider Man. Maybe uh, Spider Man was good, and it's in 4K HDR on the Apple TV. And so. and Sylvia likes Spider Man. So um, yeah, it's a good movie. That's a, I recommend that, it. that could be a good movie. Um, I also got or Wonder Woman. Or Wonder yeah, you know mm-hmm. Wonder Woman could be an idea. Um, you can find a Star Wars or two, probably. I was going to say probably also maybe a Pixar movie. Uh, it, yeah, it, I don't know if they have any in 4K oh, HDR yet. Yeah, I want to say Disney. Inside Out. Mm, okay. Also Baby Driver. Great movie. Baby Driver. It's about, okay. it's about an iPod collector, I think. Yeah, it's a... Yep. Yeah. Yes, actually. I, I have, it's the one with collector. Don Draper also in the in the cast, right? Exactly. Mm-hmm. Yep. Okay. Mm-hmm. Um <laughs> So, <laughs> so you're happy with all this? You, you're you're enjoying it? Thumbs up? Very much so. I also have the Chromecast uh, Ultra uh, for because YouTube and 4K. That's what mm-hmm. you gotta get. Do you recommend this? I've been rolling this around in my brain. If I should get this, the the Chromecast Ultra. Yeah. Um, yeah, because um, most of the channels that I follow on YouTube now they do 4K. Uh, so MKBHD does 4K, Austin Evans does 4K, Casey Neistat sometimes I think does 4K, um, and they look. They, Steven does 4K. Steven does 4K. Yeah. I actually sent a picture to Steven <laughs> the other day in front yeah. of a, in front of a big uh, picture of Steven on my TV in 4K. He, he looked <laughs> he looked fancy. Um, mm. So yeah, I recommend it. Uh, it's of course uh, you know the, the the whole system of casting a video to the TV is very simple. From <laughs> YouTube on iOS, yeah. you just tap a button and you're done. Um, mm-hmm. But yeah, I wish there was a setting actually to say on YouTube, I always want to stream in 4K. Never mind adjusting the playback depending on my on the speed of my internet connection. Like I want a setting mm-hmm. that says always 4K, but it doesn't like, exist. I'll wait. I'm good. Like I'll wait. I'll, I'll wait. Just chill. make yeah. sure you don't degrade the quality. Anyway, yeah, um, very happy so far. I'm uh, I'm playing with the Switch also on the on the 4K TV, which of course doesn't support 4K, but uh, it looks beautiful. Uh, and finally, finally, I can play uh, without having to sit in front of my TV. I can just sit in bed and play from a distance, which would be I guess like uh, four meters away, um, and I can still I can still see all the details. Um, Really, it's just a big, beautiful TV. It's OLED and it looks great. And I got a PS4 Pro and a bunch of 4K devices, and I'm pretty happy so far. But the settings, the settings are awful. They always are. They always, always are. Today's show is brought to you by our friends at Encapsula. They will let you uh, delight your visitors that come to your website, whilst also frustrating those pesky attackers because of their bulletproof security options and fast content delivery network. Huge companies use Encapsula. Fortune 500 companies trust them every single day because... 
they will keep things safe. They will block your site from attackers. They will keep the user experience fast and smooth so people can enjoy your content undisturbed. Their customer service team have years of security and networking expertise, and they're at your disposal 24-7. You even get personal account management with the best service level agreement in the business to back it up. But Encapsula is not just for corporate giants. Over 100,000 organizations love and use Encapsula every day. Big or small, they can help you protect your website. As a listener of this show, you can get one whole month of service absolutely free. Just go to encapsula.com slash connected. That's I-N-C-A-P-S-U-L-A.com slash connected. Check it out now to find out more and to see what Encapsula can do for you whilst also claiming your free month. Give Encapsula a try. You won't regret it. Thank you so much to Encapsula for their support of this show and Relay FM. Surprise, everybody. Hmm. Apple bought Shazam. Hmm. That is surprising. <laughs> Right? It is a big surprise. Uh, it's a very weird one. Uh, I w- this is one of those things that I, uh, because I, I've, I've been at a, a conference this weekend, I haven't really been paying attention. Um, I saw you two talking about it, and I honestly thought that you were joking. <laughs> I thought that you were making a joke. Um, and so, yeah, very interesting. Uh, I think BuzzFeed got the scoop. Um, Apple has bought Shazam. Hmm. Yeah, and we don't know for how much. We don't know what's going to happen to the Shazam suite of apps because they have apps mm-hmm. for iPhone, iPad, Android, uh, video game consoles maybe. Uh, it's one of those services. It's everywhere. It's everywhere. It's everywhere. <laughs> yeah. it's everywhere. Um, so we don't, know what's, we don't know any details. Just that, uh, of course, Apple PR wants you to know that they have some exciting plans for um, Shazam and Apple together. Um, so I thought it could be interesting to discuss a bunch of the possibilities here. Of course, the first one, yep. I think it's Shazam becoming part of Siri. Um, back in the days of iOS 8, I think the developer betas of iOS 8, you could, you, uh, Apple was integrated Shazam with Siri. And actually today, you can do song recognition via Siri, but you have to ask a command. You have to ask, what song is this or what's playing? And back in the days of the iOS 8 beta, Shazam song recognition was always on. As soon as you summon Siri, it would listen either for spoken words or music. And that integration never made the cut for the public release, probably. I'm assuming uh, because of some privacy or security concerns. I'm not sure. But the idea now is that Apple could do that feature all over again. But by having a, you know, a built-in API with Shazam becoming a system feature and mm-hmm. being able to listen for music playing and, I guess, direct you to Apple Music or to the iTunes Store and not to Spotify or other services. (laughs) (laughs) Let me ask you guys a question about this, because I was thinking about this, right? Because one of the features of the Pixel 2 is the song recognition, right? Like you can have music on and it shows you on the screen. But Google is doing that with a combination of machine learning and all that kind of stuff, right? So And none of it's going off device. But Shazam is all off device, Mm -hmm. right? It listens, it sends something to a server and comes back. This is not very Apple, no. right? Like, I can't imagine them integrating the way that Shazam currently works into an iOS system feature because then it would be sending the audio yeah, out. But and that's... if you're doing constant listening, 
right? right? But like, <laughs> if 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 there well. is a constant listening aspect, <laughs> yeah. that's a different story, right? So I'm I'm intrigued to see how this goes. Maybe Shazam was working on a feature. Maybe they've already got this, right? And like Apple saw well, it, and they were like, "Yeah, we'll we'll buy buy you now" because they have some sort of like on device machine learning algorithm for it. But I don't here's know. Here's the problem. It's, it's, here's the problem with that. Anytime there's a new album out that Shazam needs to recognize, they'll just need to up. Those need to push out an iOS update so Siri can see it. Oh, oh my God. <laughs> it's easy with Apple. It's easy with Apple these days. Just just make it another coprocessor inside the iPhone. Make it ah, the, the Shazam make it, chip. Make it the Apple the Apple Z one. And yeah. it's only for, it's a Z it's for a, Shazam. It's exactly Shazam <laughs> and it's a, it's this Shazam CP um, coprocessor. Well, you know they're naming the chips, right? They name the processors oh, every year. Yeah. Be, so the next one the, is going to be the A12 Shazam. Good. <laughs> I think we've cracked it. The, the A12 A12 song. That's all. A12 song. <laughs> oh god. Um yeah, I don't, I don't Mike I agree with you like there's there's some unappliness to Shazam. But mm-hmm. what I keep thinking about is Shazam, like, they do all this music stuff. But what they actually are are a recognition engine. That's really all Shazam is. It happens yeah. to be about music. Yeah. And as Tim Cook goes around talking about AR every day, to any, literally literally anyone who will listen, like, you're, you're next to him at a bagel shop, and he's like, hey, let me tell you about ARKit. We heard the good news. <laughs> we heard the good <laughs> no. news about ARKit. <laughs> recognition of, of media and assumedly objects and other things, is very important in AR, right? Where you could point your iPhone or iPad at something and it know about what's going on. Or if you turn your microphone on, on your iPhone or iPad, that it can listen and, and tell you what's going on. That's a very important step towards Tim Cook's AR land. And maybe it is just about kicking people to Apple Music and iTunes. And I bet we see that, right? I bet we see a future version of the series sure. that does this. Um, in a more cohesive way. But I can't help but think that underlying technology is also really attractive to Apple as they continue their march forward into AR. Because, like, my assumption is, like, if you build a really good music recognition engine, you could use that base methodology to rec- like to recognize other things. I don't see why not. Like, I, I can't imagine that it's, like, the your skills are only for music. Like, you can't do anything else. Yeah. Um, I assume that like you just got a bunch of people that are super good. Even just like making Siri even better, right? Like uh, understanding what you're saying to it, that mm. kind of stuff, right? Like I, I imagine there's got to be some some value in that, which Shazam has been building for maybe longer than anybody else, mm. right? Some like audio recognition system. Yeah, I think when it, when it comes to the audio fingerprint engine that Shazam has, um, you could argue that Apple as a media company. Um, I could see Shazam becoming some kind of a, sorry. <clears throat> I could see Shazam becoming some kind of a layer on top of video, um, for either from iTunes or any video that just pops up, and if you want to, and it tells you what song is playing in a movie or in a TV show, right? And like Amazon's X-ray thing, right? Exactly. Yeah. And that I guess a part of that is that everything should tie into just tap on this button and go to Apple Music, and you can save or stream the song. I I don't think maybe in the short term the Shazam application will stay around, and you will be able to connect your Spotify account, but. 
I would be really surprised if the next step for Shazam has any other music streaming integration um, on iOS and Apple platforms. Um, but I also wanted to mention, in addition to... So they're making this music recognition feature. It's probably going to work with Siri. It's probably going to work with uh, Apple Music. And it could be some bigger AR play. But we shouldn't forget the all the data that Apple is buying with Shazam. Years and years of recognized yeah. songs and regional data for different countries and different um, demographics, um, tagging songs, recognizing songs, and even just the, uh, you know, all the user profiles and the data, uh, what kind of trends do we see during the year? What kind of trends do we see in Europe versus uh, America, for example? Um, and all yeah, that-, that is a good point. That's a very good point. Like if they're a music company now, even more than ever, having that data is really valuable. Yeah, and, and it kind of reminds me, maybe not to the same extent, but in a way, it reminds me of Spotify and buying the Echo Nest years ago. And you, arguably, the Echo Nest was the best acquisition ever made by Spotify because it is the it is the engine that made it possible for, for Spotify to release features like Discover Weekly, release, release Radar, and Fresh Finds, all the features that make Spotify you know, stand out, those were possible because of the data. Larger, uh, the Econest was largely responsible for those features. But Shazam is not the Econest, it's not that advanced, but it's still valuable data uh, from millions of users on many different platforms. Um, And I bet there's something interesting that Apple could do there, even just if you account for uh, Shazam's um, efforts to become more than a microphone that listens for music they uh, especially over the past two years if you if you've been paying attention to shazam they revamped the entire app so that it was focusing more on discovery and browsing artist pages and finding related songs and discovering uh, regional trends in each country and i bet that apple wants some of that um focus and and sort of uh, philosophy when it comes to making a music streaming service that is not just the music streaming service that is made arguably in LA and made by Apple. So when it comes to curation and discovery, they could use Shazam's year's worth of regional data, I think. I think that makes a lot of sense. I would expect to see, I mean, my, my expectation is that for the time being that the Shazam app will remain but I expect an update which rips out mm-hmm. Spotify and stuff yeah. like that. Oh, like yeah. That, that it, it's gone. Because There's no way. Apple Music is on Android, so like they can just do that. They could just pull it right out and just make Shazam. You can still get all the information you want, but any links to go and buy the song, listen to the song, will just take you to Apple Music, which I think is like whatever. Like That's how this stuff works. Like They don't have to... I mean, you're still getting the use out of the app, which is the main thing you want. It's just tell me the name of the song. Right. And I think that's what most people are looking for. Yeah, and and, and that may even be a big deal long term because what if what Google's doing on the Pixel becomes part of Android in the future, right? They just roll it in and, and a yeah. Android phones can just do it. At that point, Shazam is in trouble, right? Because now Android users don't need their app. And so I think it makes sense from a lot of angles. And uh, yeah, it's just weird. Like, it was so surprising. We rarely see Apple make big public uh, purchases like this. And, like, everybody knows what Shazam is, right? Like... When yeah. they bought yeah. PI Semiconductor, like, oh, they make pros- chips. And, like, that led to the A-line of chips, but no one knew who they were except uh-huh. us. But, like, my mom knows what Shazam is. Like, everyone knows. And so that's uh, that's mm-hmm. exciting to see Apple see what they can do with it. So 
pretty crazy. Like not on a huge, not on a huge, huge scale, but it became kind of ghoul-like with the verb, right? Like yeah, Shazam it, yeah, right. Like it became like a mm-hmm. a thing. I mean, I know that it's, I've heard people say it that. Sounds I mean, it's not so, crazy huge. It but. sounds so bad in Italian when when my friends say that. It's like it's it's okay. Shazamalo. Oh, it's like uh, like when when they when someone says tag it on Shazam, but as a verb, uh-huh. and it's it's the the oh. conjugation of the verb in Italian that is so awful. It's one of those Shazamalo. Yeah, yeah, I love it's that. The, it would be like the imperative form of put it on Shazam. I don't know how to say Shazam it. Yeah. Oh. Yeah. It's <laughs> just ugly. <laughs> Shazamalo. That's great. Sounds like a really bad Marvel superhero. <laughs> oh, boy. Thank you so much for listening to this week's episode of Connected. You can find uh, links for this episode. Where, Federico? Uh, Reader.fm slash connected slash 172. Perfect. You did it. Uh, if you want to find Federico's work online, maxstories.net, appstories.net. He is at Viticci on Twitter, V-I-T-I-C-C-I. Um, Steven is at 512pixels.net. He's 512pixels on YouTube. And he is at ISMH on Twitter. I am at iMike, I-M-Y-K-E. Thanks again to our lovely sponsors this week, uh, Encapsula, Squarespace, and Balance Open. We'll be back next time. Until then, say goodbye, guys. Arrivederci. Adios.